Struggling to keep track of your story and world? Archivos is for you! More intuitive than a wiki, more extensible than Scrivener, Archivos builds your story bible into your personal, always-on tactical display. Graphical relationship charting, continuity tools, this thing has it all, with bonus options for fan engagement and real-time collaboration. Archivos. Story world management done right www.archivos.digital. That's www.archivos.digital. Welcome to The Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of nearly 30 books, more than 30 short stories, and numerous articles and scripts and essays, coming to you from up in the crow's nest with my spyglass on this daily voyage through the dicey waters of business, craft, learning, and art in the writing life. Today we have feedback from Charles. Charles says, After listening to your episode with Gail, Nano Gang Bang Day 13, and you all got me to thinking, which is a dangerous pastime for me. I know. You three had spoken about trying to write in a different genre to test the waters and to see if you enjoy it and if you are any good at it. Okay, challenge accepted. Except, how do I know? I could enjoy writing one genre, but be horrible at it, whereas I could possibly write in another genre and actually be good, or at least readable in that genre. But we as writers are unable to step back from our own writing enough to know the truth of our words. So how in the hell am I supposed to know these things? How am I supposed to know what genre I should be writing in? How am I supposed to know if I should even be writing anything at all, or if I should be doing something else with my small chunks of free time? The more I listen and learn, the harder it seems to me to do something that used to be just something I did for giggles and grins when I was younger. Now that I'm approaching 50, I don't want to spin my wheels doing something if I'm no bueno at the habla de... If I am no bueno at the habla la fantasia... Is there any help for me? You're going to hate me for this, Kitty, but I think you should answer this because uh, my answer is not going to translate to almost anybody. You see this from the outside. Um, you wa you've watched me, you've watched Gail, you've watched other writer friends of ours, and you've seen how good we each are at self-assessment, and you've seen a lot of people from different trades being able to figure out if they're any good at X or Y or Z. You give this a go. <laughs> oh, God. Um, in terms of figuring out whether it's whether you're any good at it or not, try it a few times and really have someone read it who likes that genre. Who likes the genre more than they like you. <laughs> yes, who likes the genre more than they like you. And are willing to say, this is interesting, but it's not X. Or, are, are you sure this is a romance? And, and that sort of thing. And so, first of all, have someone who is willing to read it that likes the genre. Read the genre enough that you have a sense of what is expected. Not just one book. Don't read just one romance novel. Read several. Don't read one mystery. Read several and, and try to read from several eras to get an idea of how the genre has developed over time. 
get a sense of what the expectations are. Um, I know of one person, um, this was Gail, actually, mm-hmm. when she wrote Solace. That's right. She read several romance novels and charted out... <laughs> I've got the chart. <laughs> charted out from down to the page number when the first kiss should be, when the meeting should be, when the first fight between the lovers should be, and when the resolution should be, and then made sure she hit those targets. Yeah, very much what I like, what I did with the Heinlein Juvenile. Yeah. Figure out what, figure out the genre and try to write it to type. When you're doing a first thing in the genre, don't try to subvert it. Don't try to subvert something that you don't understand. Write to formula. Yeah. <laughs> um... Along, I'm, I'm going to throw the ball back to you in a minute here, but along those lines, I know I've recommended this before, but you could do the the single best ever essay on creativity and on becoming good at something, especially in the arts. I have ever seen is a episode of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles called Young Indy and the Mystery of the Blues. You can dig it up on streaming. I believe uh, it's on prime at the moment it may have moved to disney plus by now but i think it's on prime and you can buy the episode buy it and watch it it shows you the process by which indiana starts off playing jazz as he thinks he understands it as a lover of jazz and then finding out that he's really bad at it and being given the secret to learning jazz by Sidney Bichette, who was one of the great jazz musicians of Chicago in the 1920s. And as a result of going through that process, not just getting good at jazz, but getting good at knowing how good he is and isn't. That process is the same for any art form. And it's true that you're never going to have an objective view of your own work. It will always be colored by your experience of writing it and the experiences that went into the ideas that you brought to the novel. But you can actually get enough of a command of what makes writing good to be able to tell if you are accomplishing what you're intending to accomplish. And in in terms of whether to know if you should bother at all, that's a a very different question. Um, It's a good one, though. a, a, A few metrics I would apply. If you can't stand not to do it, Mm. you should write. If you get intense joy out of writing and and not just the writing but accomplishing something new and difficult in writing if it gets you going to pull off a trope that you've only ever seen done badly and do it in a new and interesting way if it gets your gears going to to do a character a certain way to incorporate something different into a mystery novel than you've never seen before. If that kind of thing excites you, you should be writing. Mike Rowe, when he tells the story of how he came to make the show Dirty Jobs, he gave a talk that I think wound up on Fora TV at some point about this. He talks about how, as a kid, he wanted to be a tradesman. His grandfather was a master carpenter, and he would spend all this time in the shop with him, and he idolized him, and he was just terrible. He was really bad. Um, And his grandfather told him, you're no good at this, go find something you're good at, which he found crushing, absolutely crushing. So he went out and he got a degree in opera, 
which of course you can't make any money at. And he wound up working at QVC, selling things to old women late at night. <laughs> in uh, because what else are you going to do with an offer? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and he wound up going sideways from that into doing voiceovers and other stuff. And eventually, he had the opportunity to pitch or to to. Actually, I think the idea for Dirty Jobs was somebody else, and then he was brought in to voice over um, a pilot episode that didn't work, and then they asked him if he wanted to do it, and he realized this was the way he could get close to his dream of being like his grandfather. And, of course, that's what made him famous. Um, there's a really interesting lesson in that for figuring out what you're good at and doing what you're good at. The first thing you have to do is you have to kind of figure out who you are. If you want to be the kind of person who can be good at X, and you're not, then there's one of two possibilities. Either you're just not built that way, or you have growing to do to get good at it. But if your main desire is focused in, I want to be the kind of person who can do X, as opposed to, I want to do X, there is a greater chance that you're just not built to do X, and that you're sort of idolizing an identity as opposed to being fixated on something you really, really want to do. Um, that was Mike, Mo Mike Rowe's problem. Mike Rowe didn't really want to be a tradesman. What he wanted to be was his grandfather. His grandfather was the person he respected most in the world. He wanted to be like that man. And so he, he fixated on the thing about that man that he could understand at the age of 10. Now, that wasn't who Mike Rowe is. That's not what he's good at. Mike Rowe is built differently. And he had to grow up enough to understand how he was built. You're 50 years old. You've been through some shit. You know who you are. It might take sitting down, maybe going away for a weekend retreat, and just thinking. But you should be able to figure out if you want to write because a writer is who you want to be when you grow up. Or if you want to write because you have something to say and because this is the most important thing in the world to you. If it is the former, then you may or may not, it may or may not be a thing you can get good at. If it is, go for it. Give it a try. If it's not, figure out what you are good at, what you can do that is more you, that is connected to this thing that you love and idolize. On the other hand, if you discover that deep in your bones, the thing that you've always wanted to do, always, is to tell stories and to live in that weird mental universe where you're spinning things out and creating them and bringing other people in to share your madness, then whether it's the kind of thing you can get good at or not, it is the sort of thing you were built for. That's the kind of question only you can answer. And as cheesy and new agey as it sounds, the answer kind of lies within. You say at the end, the more I listen and learn, the harder it seems to me to do something that used to be just fun or for giggles and grins. Maybe the other thing you need to do is to make it a priority to learn how to play again. You're middle-aged. I understand. I'm middle-aged. I'm a few years younger than you, but not much. You get to middle age, and the, the weight of life and the awareness of your own mortality, and the hurts and scars and memories that you've accumulated can weigh you down. And if you've had a career crash or 
another big derailment leading up to or in midlife, it can make you question who you are. When you previously thought you had that sorted out. But however you get there, the answer to that is you have to learn to play again. You have to become a bit like a kid. Play is the only way that humans fully learn anything. It's the only way that mammals develop is through play. When you cease to play, you cease to grow. So try to find that place of play and play. And if it turns out that you're no good, at least you're having fun. And maybe you'll discover in the process something you are good at or something else that catches your interest that you want to give a try. But if you're playing, the chances that you're going to become good go way, way up because your whole self is engaged. It's not systematizing theories and taking apart particular ideas. The kind of stuff we do on this show quite often is people write in and they're stuck on a, on a particular point of something. And Kitty and I tear that point apart and explore it from a ver variety of different angles so that it might grease the wheels for those of you listening. But that kind of analysis is not the same as learning. What you do with that is where the learning happens. Um, in our case, this kind of analysis is and always has been a kind of play. That's part of how we're put together. But when I sit down to write, if I do this kind of analysis as I'm writing, I can't write. I get completely blocked. It's not helpful in that moment. I have to let go of all of that in order to play. And in times of very high stress, like I've experienced the last year, it's really hard to do that. There's a reason that I spent so much time writing nonfiction, because in nonfiction I can do that kind of analysis, and I can do that kind of analysis when I'm stressed. When I'm writing, I have to turn that off, and I have to just play. And when you're under existential threat, it's very hard to do that. You're 50 years old. You're in midlife. You may be in midlife crisis, and midlife crisis feels like an existential threat. So maybe what you're missing is that you're too stressed out to play. So try to play. And that there is something that applies to a lot of us right now, being too stressed out to play. The last two years have been kind of <laughs> a mess for everybody on the planet, and it's not getting better. No, it's going to get a lot worse. Re go back and listen to the episode we did about the post-growth anthology. It's going to get a lot worse. If you don't find your ability to play now, <laughs> you may get caught in the vortex, and that could kill your creativity. Play is how you survive times like these. Yes. And that's why dark humor is so important. <laughs> and on that note, maybe you should try a completely new genre just mm -hmm. so you have something yeah, different to do. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Something to grow into, something to play with, something you didn't think you could do. Yeah, that's a really good idea. So I think we'll end there because that, I think, is brilliant. High fives don't make that satisfying sound when you've got gloves on. Nope. Oh, well. Thank you very much for the question, Charles, and we'll see you tomorrow. The Everyday Novelist is written by J. Daniel Sawyer and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty McKeon and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. 
The text is copyright 2021 J. Daniel Sawyer, and the production is copyright 2021 Artistic Whispers Productions, Incorporated. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Notarifitous License, and all other rights are reserved to their respective owners. Join the conversation. Submit a question, leave a comment, or a creative death threat. Or find me at jdsawyeronminds.com or hit me at feedback at jdsawyer.net. We can't do it without you.